This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. I am enthusiastic about this message for a couple of reasons. First of all, I know that this is going to impact every person because it applies to every single person. I'm talking about following Jesus. So if you're following Jesus, this will give you encouragement to keep doing what God's called you to do. But I know this specifically that this is going to be for someone or someones in particular, that this is a life-changing message. And this was true in the 9 a.m. service. We, we had a record crowd in 9 a.m. service for a non-event Sunday. So may have something to do with the NFL, but regardless, hey, they were here and, uh, and God moved in the hearts of people and the Holy Spirit wants to do that today. So just have an open heart. It's a very simple message, but the simple messages are the ones that are the hardest to live. I mean, we can have a complex kind of cerebral message that, you know, that we could all feel good about analyzing, but not know how to apply it to our life. This is real simple stuff. And this particular passage on first read, if you're reading your Bible, like in a Bible reading plan, you would think it's simply just a transitional passage, kind of getting us from one story to the next story. But as we dig into the scripture and preparing this message, the Holy Spirit has brought out some truths uh, that are going to impact you. And I praise this name because the scripture is, what power, is what's powerful. Listen, it's not presentation. It's not the speaker. It's not the environment. Those things play a role. The transformational power is in the scripture. It'll change your life. And, and I'm excited about sharing God's word right now with you. You ready to go now? All right, I better be good now, right? Even though I just said it's not about the speaker, but now I just put a lot of pressure on myself, so Lord help me. Okay, let's go to the word, Mark 10, 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the 12 aside again, he said, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Listen, we are going up to Jerusalem the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. This is our text for today. On Thursday, the Appalachian mission trip is leaving. I forgot to mention the offering. If you want to contribute towards that, uh, we're, the pinnacle of the trip will be a rodeo this Saturday night in which we will feed the community. Those who are on the trip, I'm not going on this trip, but those who are going, Beth will be there. We'll feed the community, give prizes to those who participate in the rodeo and present the gospel to the entire community. So there's some cost to that. So if you want to contribute to that, you can give me the money later or you can go online and contribute that way. But the group is getting ready to leave Thursday, and I had a small part in organizing the transportation. They're taking four of the 15 passenger vans. There's almost 30 participating in this trip, so we rented the vans and got them ready. And it reminded me of when I was a youth pastor and when we used to take vans on a lot of different trips. We don't do that as much now. We use buses, but we used to charter these vans, excuse me, rent these vans. And in that era, in the late 90s, uh, the group I was working with, there were several of us in our 20s 
that were leading this, these teenagers. And we would go to the van rental place to get the vans. And it became this subtle competition to see who would get the cool van. Because if you've ever rented van, there are a plethora of white vans. And those are the uncool vans. But if you can get a forest green our maroon van, you had the cool van. And so we would all get our keys and, and try to get to the cool van. And it was really mature of us, wasn't it? This competition uh, to see who would drive the greatest van. And then after that van was secured, the issue became this. Who is going to lead the caravan of vehicles to the trip? And there was something empowering about being in the lead. If you got the lead van, there was a bit of a bravado you carried the rest of the trip. You were the youth staff member in the lead. You were the youth staff member in charge. Now, no one wanted to admit this secret desire. So everyone wanted to be like, hey, I'll leave if you want me to. It's, you know, it's cool. If it's cool of you, I'll leave. It's not a big deal. But secretly, we all knew there was power in the lead position. Because when you're in the lead position in a caravan of vehicles, that means whenever you want a snack, you can stop and exit and get a snack. Whenever your bladder's full, you can go empty it at the next rest stop. Whatever speed you want to go, you can, you can pick the speed you want to go. Being in the front of the caravan meant you were in control. It was a good feeling. It was a good feeling until you lost a whole youth group by not following the right directions. And then you realize that instead of the bravado of the cool guy in the lead, you were the guy who made the whole youth group late. Because being in the front of the caravan didn't just mean control, it meant responsibility. And there was something about that responsibility that once you realized the pressure, it didn't make the trip quite as fun. It was more fun when you weren't in the lead. You could relax, you can enjoy the drive, you didn't have the pressure of getting directions. Now this morning, to make this text come alive, we're gonna use some travel analogies. And Jesus used analogies, so it's a good thing to do to help us understand the scripture clearer. And, and here's the first thing I observed from the scripture, is that if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, Jesus has to be driving the first fan. If you wanna be the, the, a follower of Jesus, here's our first point. Following Jesus means he is in the front. Now immediately we think, well, this is a simple message. I got this one, right? I got this one. Jesus is in the front. That's pretty easy. Hey, it's easy to say that, not so easy to live it. Because when Jesus is in the front, that means he's in complete control. Look at verse 32. And in case you didn't notice this the first time you read it. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. You can't be a follower of Jesus if Jesus is not ahead of you. You can't follow Jesus if Jesus isn't in the front. But a lot of us, we verbally say, hey, Jesus is first place, Jesus is front, I'm following Jesus. We sing it, we say it, we write it. But practically, he's really not leading us down every path that we need to be in. When Jesus is in the front, that means he is controlling the direction of our life. When Jesus is in the front, he doesn't just control the direction. Listen to this. He controls the pace of our life. He controls the speed of our life. Jesus 
is the one leading us down the path and leading us in the direction he wants us to go and leading us at the pace he wants us to go. A lot of us, or some of us, are following Jesus positionally. We're following Jesus maybe out of obligation because we want to go to heaven and we want to be saved, right? We want to be good little Christian boys and girls. But Jesus just isn't moving fast enough. We wish God would just kind of hurry up and get to the destination. Wish God would just hurry up and get to the place he's supposed to be. It's like, speed up, Jesus, speed up. Or some of us have lagged behind further and further. And Jesus is, he's ahead of us, but he's real distant. And it feels like we have almost an unreachable distance now to follow Jesus the way we once did or the way we want to. See, following Jesus is a position He is in the first place. He's ahead of us. He's in charge. He's chosen the path and he's chosen the pace that we're gonna follow the path. But a lot of us, we're not following God with direction. We're following God kind of like, we're not following God. Instead, we're kind of like the dog who's gotten loose in the neighborhood. He's not following or she's not following the streets the city of Hendersonville or Gallatin have laid out. Dog's following its nose. It's just sniffing around, right? Sniffing around, going wherever it wants to go. Some of us, that's how we're, we are. Now, I, I wanna say this. I've been walking in my neighborhood a lot the last few months. I have several church members who live in that neighborhood and I have none of them in mind right now, but I've gotta get something off of my chest, okay? And here's the deal. A lot of people just let their dogs out in the front yard and they forgot about something called a leash. And I just would like to suggest that it takes a lot less effort to put on your shoes and to put your dog on a leash than it does to stand there in your bathrobe screaming at your dog <laughs> like a banshee. Rover, Rover, come back, Rover. Just put your shoes on and put a leash and we'll all be happier. That's my group therapy session today. Thank you. But have you ever seen a dog get loose? It just follows its nose, just sniffing around. I won't give you a visual for that. I thought about that, but that would get real creepy, wouldn't it? Me uh, walking around, sniffing around. But you can imagine in your head, following the nose, just whatever interest, wherever we wanna go, just moving around without any clear direction. And we, being of a higher intelligent species, we don't just follow our desires. We don't just follow our noses. We don't just wander around aimlessly. Uh, we, We have a direction. We have a purpose. We have a speed. And Jesus is setting it. He's setting the speed. He's setting the pace. And so brothers and sisters, I have a simple question for you today. I know it's not deep. We don't need to get the Greek meaning here and analyze the context of it and and the language here. It's just simple. Is Jesus in first place? Some of you need that question today. Is Jesus in first place? Because Jesus said this, he who follows me must take up his cross daily. Every day, say, Jesus, you're first. You're leading me. You're guiding me. I'm following you. Whatever path you have for me, whatever speed you want me to take, even if I think you're going too slow, Jesus, I'm following you and I'm following you clearly. And I'm following you completely because you're my father. 
when I was in youth group, we took a trip. I, was, I grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Our youth group took a trip to Arizona, did some mission work in Phoenix. The pinnacle of the trip and what we were the most excited about was the chance to see the Grand Canyon. I know that teenagers are supposed to be driven for this desire to, to reach the poor of Phoenix, but we wanted to see the Grand Canyon too, right? That was a big incentive for the trip. So we did our ministry and we headed up north from Phoenix. And I had a youth pastor who was very competent in a lot of areas. He was really funny, great with kids, um, fun to be around. But there were some other areas we just didn't have a lot of confidence in him, such as driving. We didn't have a lot of confidence in this guy because he was just he was just fun and just doing just living life crazy and he had set the trip and he was supposed to get us to the Grand Canyon and the trip was a tightly scheduled trip and the day was coming to an end the sun was starting to set and we were headed to the Grand Canyon but it was nothing like we imagined we were driving through a forest i didn't see red rocks anywhere i didn't see mountains we were in a forest and our youth pastor, Jeroy, he was not worried in the least about what was happening. He was, he was just laughing, telling jokes like he usually did. And in our many years of wise driving experience at the age of 14, we started to doubt our youth pastor and say, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. We're never going to make it to the Grand Canyon we started doubting his abilities. And, and even though he was competent in other areas, we, we really started doubting his authority in this area. We're like, and Jeroy's not gonna get us there. He mistimed the trip. He looked at the map wrong. There's no way we're gonna get to the Grand Canyon. And here it was on the road to where we're supposed to go. Doubt came in. And I see this same type of doubt in this scripture with Jesus, look at verse 32 again, another portion of it. It says, they were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. There's these mixed emotions about Jesus. They were astonished in a good way by his miracles, by his teaching, by his power. But those who followed him were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of Jerusalem because Jesus, his life had been threatened at Jerusalem. My second observation for this passage today is following Jesus means we have conflicting emotions sometimes. I think that if we're really honest, we're like those who followed him in this story, astonished, but afraid. Amazed, but in some doubt. I know in my life that I have a strong sense of who the Son of God is as my personal Savior and His really place in this world. And I feel like I've honored Jesus most of my life. But I've had times where I've wondered, God, is your plan really gonna to come to pass in my life? I've lived at times with this simultaneous astonishment and fear. Like, God, we know you're the son of God. We know that you're coming again. We know that you're the king of kings and lord of lords. But God, when are you gonna help me get a new job? God, I realize that all power and authority are under your feet. I've read Colossians 
where it says that he is the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created. Nothing exists without him. He sustains all things. Great poem. But God, how are you gonna help me raise this kid? He's the tough one or she's a tough one to raise. I'm astonished by you, God, but I'm afraid of where I am mentally or where I am emotionally. God, I'm amazed at you, the bride of Christ, but my marriage is really, really tough. And I've worked with lots of different couples over the years and every marriage is unique. But let me tell you something that's common with every single marriage. Every single couple that I've worked with have said this, we are nothing alike. As if every other couple in the world are perfectly matched, but we, the two of us, are the two human individuals that accidentally got married with nothing in common. No kidding. There's a male and there's a female. The odds are against you right there. <laughs> plus the personality, plus the history, plus the background. So even though we feel called to the marriage and believe that, we think, oh God, help me in this. Or if we're in a prolonged state of singleness for whatever circumstance we're in, Lord, I wanna be married. God, you can do anything. I'm astonished with you. But God, I'm afraid you've forgotten me or I'm afraid you're not gonna come through. These are the emotions that we feel on the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the unknown. Jerusalem represents the place of mystery. And I'll be honest with you. Jerusalem also symbolizes to us today that the future does not mean we won't be challenged. And the future does not mean we will not be persecuted. And the future does not mean we won't fail. For every disciple failed, maybe with the exception of John. So Jerusalem does not mean perfection. In the context of this passage, Jerusalem means uncertainty and challenge and persecution and the unknown. But yet, if we're following Jesus, he is leading us to a specific place for a specific reason. And we don't get a pass to Jerusalem. We're not able to say, uh, Jesus, we were following you until we figured out where you're going. And, and so go ahead, Jesus. We're just going to stay back. No, we don't get that option. We follow him because he is our leader and he knows what's best. And so, Jerusalem, here we come. The area of mystery, the city where we're opposed, the place, because we know the end of the story, the place where there's crucifixion, the place where there's betrayal. We follow Jesus to that place. Some of you today, listen, I, you may be or may have recently been at a place where you've been fearful of Jesus perplexed by Jesus. And God is having me remind you today that the story's not over yet. You may be on the road and not exactly sure where Jesus is taking you. You may not even like the pace that Jesus is setting. You may not like the speed. He may be going too fast or he may be going too slow. And there's a part of you that you respect Jesus and you follow him and you believe in him, but you're afraid of where you're going. And can I just tell you, keep 
stepping one step at a time. Keep following him. Let him be your leader. Going back to the first point, let Jesus be in first place because Jesus has a plan and it's not over yet. The story of your life isn't over. The story of our lives, the story of creation isn't over. The the story of the cosmos isn't over. Jesus is redeeming the world. He is bringing his presence and he is coming again. Resurrection and return are ahead of us. However dark your road is, how confusing your road is, look ahead to Jesus. Look ahead to Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Don't abandon his plan. One of the stories that I like to tell perpetually, or I tell often here, is stories about me traveling with my kids and my family. We drive a lot. Three kids. I want to tell you, those of you who are young parents, have young kids, it gets better. Because I remember stopping when I had like three kids in car seats and stopping at a gas station to get a snack and go to the restroom. It was one of the most stressful things I did all year long. (laughs) Managing the diaper bags, shifting with Beth, trying to get in and out. It was not fun. Now we stop. I say, kids, you got three minutes. Get your butt in there and get back to the car. I love it. It's just, it's so much better. Can't you just feel the father's heart coming out of me? It's like, we we got places to go. So here I am on one of the trips. We go to Dallas a lot. It's my hometown, my old hometown. And Dallas is 650 miles from here. And we would take these trips. We still do, but when the kids were a little bit younger and when we started the trip, they would actually get excited about it. In fact, when we were packing, they would go ahead and get into the van because they had their pillow pets and their blankets and red box movies and snacks. It's like 25 minutes before departure. I'm like, guys, this is a long trip. There's no need to be in the van yet, but they're, they're determined. They're in, they're ready to go. And so I know what's gonna happen. And I try to prepare these kids for it. I was like, guys, this is a long trip. The best case scenario is 11 hours. And with you guys, it's gonna take 13 hours. <laughs> and I tell them, you're gonna get tired and hungry and irritated Your bladder's gonna be full with the exit far away. You're gonna get hot, then cold, then hot again. It's gonna be a long, hard, troublesome trip. But sure enough, even though they've been told, and even though they've been warned, it's a long trip. When we're going I-40 West, by the time we get to Bucks North, Tennessee, those kids are already complaining. You know, Buck Snort is the greatest name of a city besides Jerusalem in the world. So we're in Buck Snort. They're already complaining, and you know what they're, what they're saying, right? I don't have to tell you. What are they saying? Are we what? Are we there yet? No, kids, I told you it was going to take 11 hours. And you're still complaining that you're out of your snack. There's no more DVDs. Sister has her foot on my side of the van. All that nonsense. I mean, it's predictable. Even though we prepare them, even though we tell them what's going to happen, You know, they're already complaining. Now, this is somewhat, if I can stretch this story a little bit, somewhat of what Jesus was going through with his disciples. Look at 32 again, the end of 32 there. So taking the 12 aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Can I just say, this is one of the most 
comforting scriptures to me because Jesus tells his disciples about what's going to happen on the cross. He tells them about what he's going to go through, which lets us know something. And let's put that point number three here is this, is that following Jesus means that he controls the future. Can I tell you, this is comforting. When I, when I read the gospels early on in my Christian walk and since that time of, as I've read the gospels, I realized that the cross was not plan B. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not an afterthought. God did not look upon Jesus and, and see the situation and see that the Romans were ready to crucify him and think, okay, well, here's a good time to save the world. Okay, this turned out this way. I guess I'll go ahead and use Jesus to save the world. Now, the scripture lets us know this, that the lamb of God who was slain was done so before the foundations of the world. So before the earth even was created, God knew that Jesus was going to be his plan, that the cross was his original design. The cross was not an accident. The cross was not a mistake. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross was not an adjustment. The cross was not plan B. The cross was designed by the Father to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. So why, this is why as soon as our ancestors, Adam and Eve, Sin. You can go read this in Genesis chapter three. They sinned and they chose the serpent's way instead of God's way. God immediately brought up the cross. In this poetic language, he said, you know what? The serpent is going to strike the heel of the Messiah. He's gonna strike the heel and the cross is gonna be painful and the cross is gonna cost and the cross is gonna inflict pain. But even though the serpent's gonna strike the heel of the Messiah, he will crush his head. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That, that place of punishment, that place of execution, that place that was, was designed to inflict torture and punishment on our God was the place of victory, was the place where God overcame Satan, overcame death, the grave, Hades itself, and gave us life. So Jesus had a plan. And just like I try to prepare my kids for these trips back to Dallas. So Jesus tried to prepare his disciples. We see in 32 that he took them aside. Now look what he said, what happened in verse 33. Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And these words, even reading these words are painful. They will mock him spit on him, flog him, and kill him. See, Jesus knew this ahead of time. Jesus willingly gave his life. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus allowed the mocking and the spitting and the flogging and the torture to happen. It was his choice. He was in control. But now look at the end of this. And he will rise after three days. That's what Resurrection Sunday is. That's why we have church on Sundays. 
Because we celebrate the resurrection, not on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection every time we come together, every time we take communion, every time we worship. We celebrate the fact that our God's not dead. Our God is not a historical figure. Our God is not someone we just remember. On the third day, he rose again, and he's alive right now. He's alive today because Jesus controls the future. And Jesus is always in charge. And Jesus always has a plan. So if Jesus had a plan to redeem the world, if Jesus had a plan to take his followers to Jerusalem, then Jesus has a plan for your life. Jesus has a plan for your circumstance. Jesus has a plan for your situation. Jesus has a plan for your dark night. Jesus has a plan when you're going through the forest and you don't know where he is taking you. Jesus has a plan on the road to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your unknown place. Jerusalem is your place of mystery. Jerusalem is your place, maybe even a failure and temptation and challenge. But Jerusalem is also the place of resurrection. It's where the risen Lord will show himself to his people. Jerusalem is the place where he will come again. The scripture lets us know that Jesus himself will put his feet on the Mount of Olives and we will see him when he returns once again. The place that represents your greatest challenge is also the place of your greatest victory. So keep following Jesus. Keep after him, even in the dark place, even in the forest, even in the place of uncertainty, even when you're going to a place that scares you and, and you, you don't know what the future holds. You go to that place and realize that Jesus has a plan. That plan has been in existence from the beginning and that plan is unfolding in your life. Remember the story about when I was in youth group, my, my youth pastor wasn't concerned at all about all of our complaining. He wasn't concerned about, you know, our challenge to his authority. He was just relaxed and having fun, unaware that we thought his driving was no good, unaware that we thought his leadership was compromised. And as we, we wound through those forest roads, we turned one particular corner, and I remember turning this corner and boom, the Grand Canyon was right in front of us. Unbelievable. If you've been to the Grand Canyon before, you'll know that the forests surround that area. And depending on where you approach, it's not always what you expect. And here, our youth pastor was never worried because he had a plan. And he knew he was going to get us to the place we're supposed to be. And I just want you to know this. Listen, you may be in a dark place and you may have been in a dark place recently, a place of confusion, a place that is very slow, a place where you feel lost. Would you keep following Jesus? Because you may just turn that corner and out of nowhere, the plan of God's gonna just appear in, in a scope you've never imagined before. The plan of God's gonna appear in something you can't describe. I mean, this Grand Canyon experience is something that, unlike anything I'd seen in my life up to that point, and frankly, unlike anything I've seen since. Can I tell you, God's plan for you ahead of you is unlike anything you've imagined, anything you've seen. And I can't say that there's not gonna be persecution and hard times, but I do know this, as I know that there's a greater glory awaiting those who serve the Lord. That, listen, any temporary trial that we we have to endure, any temporary persecution, any temporary challenge, 
cannot compare to the glory that's awaiting us. I have a feeling God's gonna do something great in this life you can't imagine. I have a feeling that is gonna happen for you, but something that I know, as sure as I'm breathing, and as sure as God's word is true, and as sure as Jesus Christ is resurrected, that there's a greater day coming for us all, a, pla a place that we're going so that we will be with the Lord forever, a place of no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more funeral homes, no more graveyards, no more hospitals, no more communicable diseases, no more poverty, no more sickness, no more oppression of the poor, no more injustice. So shall we be with the Lord forever. It's better than we can imagine. And God has prepared that place for you and me. Is that a good reason to follow Jesus? So keep following Jesus. Keep on the pathway. Keep following him. Jerusalem is going to be a good place for you. Jerusalem is a place, the pace that he's going is just the right pace for you. Would you stand with me as we're kind of closing this time down? Hey, I want you to know this, that if you're following Jesus, that the pace that Aaron on is different than Darren's pace. It's different than Tim's pace. So Chip, don't compare your pace to mine. And I won't compare my pace to Stephanie because Jesus is leading each of us just the way he wants to. He's leading just, just the way he wants to lead Stacy. that is. All right, he, and he knows your name, Stacy, better than I do. He's leading us just the pace that he wants to. And so today, brothers and sisters, we will follow Jesus and we will recommit our commitment to him because he's not gonna let us down. He's gonna take us to the right place and he's gonna lead us just the way we need to be led. Can we pray together right now? I wanna give some of you a chance to specifically respond to the Lord today. I want you to know this, that I'm not looking for you to validate my sermon. The Lord has helped me to be free of that for, for years now. But I do believe this, that God wants to see some of you respond to him and the Lord himself is looking down and he's gonna ask you to respond with your hand raised in just a moment. Not to validate Aaron, but I'm gonna be a witness between you and the Lord. Because many of you, I know all of us are encouraged today. I really feel like all of us are encouraged to follow the Lord today. Not one of us were left behind by this message. It was for every single person. But for some of you, this is specifically, the word of God is right before you today saying, right and wrong, Jesus or yourself, light or darkness, good or bad. I mean, it's before you right now. And the Lord is eliciting a response from you today. He's saying, you need to respond today. You need to respond for your sake. Listen, we're, we're not the type of church at this point that, that are, are counting the numbers of hands in the air and, and, and those types of things, using it as a marketing campaign or anything, or filing a report with some institution. No, this is so God can see you say, I need, I, I need business with the Lord. This is my day. This sermon was for me. I will never be the same today because the scripture has been very clear to me. So if you're sitting in, the far left section to your left, not mine, but your left and say, this scripture was for me today and, and, and I'm doing business with God and I'm responding to the scripture today. Raise your hand right now. If there's any in that far left section of my sin, I choose to follow you at whatever pace you decide, at whatever place you take me, whether it's persecution or temptation I will follow you because you will lead me to victory in Christ. Put my heart in heaven. Put my attention with, to you. 
Let me pray for you, God. You heard the prayers of your believers, of your saints today. And God, we have done business with the Lord our God today. And now we respond to you in worship. I want to ask that our pastors would go to the back and prayer partners to the back. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.